shit, shit, shit show. It's a fucking shit show. Shit Welcome show. back to Shit Show Saturday. We have shit show Wendy live from her car. Yeah? You ready for this? Hi. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. So what song do you want played when you walk into a room? I was just looking that up. So I think it's by, let me look at it, the the Revivals. Oh, no, the New Radicals. You get what you get what you give. I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you get what you give. So it's just such a you got a reason to a fun song and it just speaks to me. I just like it. It's a good bop. Okay, carbohydrate. I'm sticking with Doritos. Plain regular Doritos? Yeah, not even the the nacho cheese. Not even cool ranch. Just going with straight old nacho cheese. I do like the Cool Ranch is, is a close second, but I go for the nacho cheese. That was the very first thing I bought at the grocery store when I was five years old with my allowance. And I have been a steady lover of the Dorito since then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cheese, nacho cheese. <laughs> no, <laughs> smoked Gouda, actually. Good choice. I'm a big smoked Gouda gal. Okay, condiment. You know, I'm I'm not really a condiment person. I think I would say ranch dressing, but like in salad, not on stuff. Like okay, pizza, but I think maybe you go or... against the trajectory then because I think you're anxious, right? So are you an outlier? I don't know. I'm definitely an anxious attacher. Yeah. So my, you know, my condiment theory. Remind me again. Well, it's it con- anxious attachers like their condiments and avoidance don't. So you're an outlier. Okay. It's okay. There's I like a five percent outlier. outlier. Good to know. Yeah. I mean, you know. I do like them. I'm just not like a real super saucy person. Like if I asked for any condiments, it's always light, light, light condiments. Yeah. But you know, if, if I had to pick one, it'd probably be ketchup. You just said ranch. Well, I'm just saying like, okay, ranch. Okay. I do like ranch. Okay. So how did you find out that you were an adult child? Well, I guess after being in a 12 step program for so many years, people, you know, just kind of started pointing out like, oh, maybe you ought to go to ACA you know, and you'll get there when you're ready, stuff like that. And so, you know, after several failed relationships and attempting, you know, the same pattern over and over, I finally did start going to ACA probably about five years ago. So I was 15 years sober and read the laundry list and immediately, is there 20 questions? Yeah, there are 20 questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Answered yes to every single one. Really? It blew my mind away. Wow. And um, every single one. Yeah. So I decided that that probably was enough evidence that I should stay for a little while. <laughs> wow. Let's so see. I did that a, a bunch of different groups. I've gone through the yellow workbook a few times. And then during COVID, some friends of mine, we started a group on our own, went through the yellow workbook again. And, and then I did start the, um, what's the workbook that you guys use in the Monday meeting? Oh, the loving parent guidebook. Yeah. So I started going to some of those meetings and I purchased the workbook, but I just didn't stick with it. So I'm looking at this. Huh? I was just curious. I was just looking at this. This looks like a different list. The 20 questions. Um, huh? Oh, t- it is 25 questions. There's 20 Al-Anon questions. I wonder if that's what it was. Just well, there's 20 to- AA questions too. So, yeah, I, so let's, I want to know if you answered yes to all 25 of these. Let's just, we, I don't, I haven't read these on the podcast before, so this will be good. So, okay. First question is, do you recall anyone drinking or taking drugs or being involved in some other behavior that you now believe could be dysfunctional? I'm going to say yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hard yes. 
Do you avoid bringing friends to your house because of drinking or some other dysfunctional behavior in the home? Yes. Uh, did one of your parents make excuses for the other parents drinking or other behaviors? I'm going to say yes. It was my stepdad. My dad was not a big part of my life for a long time. So that counts. my mom did remarry. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Did your parents focus on each other so much that they seem to ignore you? Yes. Did your parents or relatives argue constantly? Not constantly, but definitely enough that and I paid attention. It was uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. Were you drawn into arguments or disagreements and asked to choose side with one relative against another? Yes. I remember at times saying that my parents were playing tug of war with me. Your mom and your dad or your mom and your stepdad? Yeah. Okay. My yeah. mom and my bio dad. Yeah. During a custody fight. Did you try to protect your brothers or sisters against drinking or other behavior in the family? Yeah, you know what? I'm going to say no to that one. <laughs> okay. As an adult, do you feel immature? Do you feel like you are a child inside? Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. <laughs> As an adult, do you believe that you were treated like a child when you interact with your parents? Are you continuing to live out a childhood role with the parents? Yes, with my dad. Do you believe it is your responsibility to take care of your parents' feelings or worries? Do other relatives look to you to solve their problems? You know, not anymore, but at one time, yes. Okay. So like five years ago. So like, yeah, you're like last week, but not anymore. Do you fear authority figures and angry people? Yes. Do you constantly seek approval or praise, but have difficulty accepting a compliment when one comes your way? At times, yes. It's not as bad anymore. Do you see most forms of criticism as a personal attack? At times, yes, but not as much anymore. I think once I started like doing the work, once I, yeah, once I started like recognizing it, then it seems like it's lessening. Do you overcommit yourself and then feel angry when others do not appreciate what you do? Not anymore. Do you think you are responsible for the way another person feels or behaves? At times, yes. Do you have difficulty identifying feelings? Yes. Do you focus outside yourself for love or security? Yes. Do you involve yourself in the problems of others? Do you feel more alive when there is a crisis? Not so much anymore until I started really recognizing what I was doing. <laughs> but yes, a lot prior to being an ACA. Do you equate sex with intimacy? Yes. Do you confuse love and pity? Yeah. Have you found yourself in a relationship with a compulsive or dangerous person and wonder how you got there? I find myself that I don't wonder how I got there. I'm like, oh, here we are again. <laughs> yes. Ugh. Yes, yes, yes. Do you judge yourself without mercy and guess at what normal is? Yeah. Do you behave one way in public and another way at home? At times, yes. But that I feel like the more sober I am and you know, the more work I'm doing, like the more consistent my personality is. Do you think your parents had a problem with drinking or taking drugs? Yeah. Do you think that you were affected by the drinking or other dysfunctional behavior of your parents or your family? Very much so. <laughs> okay, folks, for anybody listening, if you answered yes to three or more of those, you may be <laughs> suffering from the effects of growing up in an alcoholic or dysfunctional family. Well, exactly where I, I need to be. Might, then. I think you might qualify, my dear. Okay. So would you say that you had an ACA bottom or multiple ACA bottoms? I always oh, think multiple. Yeah. Do you want to tell me about one? So I think when I, it always revolves around relationships. 
yeah, I tend to not tend. I a hundred percent of the time gravitate towards men that are like my dad and your biological dad. Yes. And for those that don't know, that is somebody that is emotionally unavailable, somebody that is kind of silent and seething, somebody that doesn't know how to have fun, somebody Mm. that I feel like I am just begging for attention. And I feel like I am constantly jumping up and down, you know, see me, you know, look at what I'm doing, you know, just pay attention to me. And so about five years ago, gosh, maybe even a little bit longer, I broke up with a guy where I really started seeing some, and again, like the more work I did and the more sober I got, I realized what that pattern was looking like. And so when I really started, you know, realizing that, then I started going to ACA. I was dating a guy that now I found out he's an alcoholic. And back then I knew he had some trouble with it, but I wasn't really, you know, positive. And he just had a lot of characteristics like, like my dad. And he had a real, you know, come close, go away thing. And he also would kind of like put me in a compartment and kind of only pay attention to me like on his own schedule when he had enough time. And once I started realizing that, I was like, holy shit, you know, look at what he's doing to me. And that relationship ended in a lot of drama and you know never spoke to him since then oh my gosh this is so funny well it's really not funny but (laughs) um this one ended up so my son is 16 and he was like maybe eight at the time nine and this guy was dating had a a son and gosh anybody who's doing the blended family thing bless you because that is some hard shit And his son was bullying my kid and, you know, never quite catch him doing it. And anyways, they had an incident where his son was bullying mine and we were getting ready to sit down for dinner and had the table set. It was like, I think we're having steak. It was something like really nice. And so we're using like the nice China. And, you know, I received some information about what was going on. I told my boyfriend and he just looked at me and was just like, I don't believe my son would do that. Mm. And I was just like the last straw, like just to be so disregarded and dismissed for something, you know, that is obviously troubling me. And I just threw a little bit of a tantrum and I, I slammed the knife down on the plate. What didn't really like mean to do this, but I just slammed it down pretty hard and the plate blew up Mm. and there were shards of glass flying everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. And then, then I cut myself and then there was some blood. So, you know, we just left. And that was like the last time I saw him, I was like, that was excellent that, you know, and I just decided like, if I'm going to that place, like I don't need to be with someone where I'm like, you know, stooping that low. Okay. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like you had to wait until you were like really fucking miserable to walk away or were you really miserable the whole time? I was. Oh yeah. I was prior to that. I was always in this state of mind, like, okay, I'm going to, try to change him. And if I can't change him, I'm going to wait for him. And like, we did this dance for five years and, you know, it really was a slow death. It was a very slow death. And, you know, it's like, you just get to that moment where you're like, I've just had enough. I can't do this one more time. So prior to that relationship, was there already an understanding that you tended to date people that resembled your father? No, no, I don't think I had the The awareness. Yeah, I didn't have the awareness. I just didn't even have the bandwidth to like conceptualize what that, I had just no clue. And so then was that difficult for you to, like when you came to ACA, was there like some resistance to like that this is what's going on? Like, were you surprised by that? Was it a shock to you? It was at first and I was really kind of grossed out. And then when I started like 
understanding why I was repeating these behaviors. Like I really just jumped into it because I was, I'm the kind of person where it's like, okay, I know there's a problem and I, I don't know what the solution is. And I'm just going to keep trying all this stuff and, you know, figure out like, you know, which tool to use. And when it was suggested for me to go to ACA and I just, I got there and I was like, holy shit, like my eyes were wide open and it was like, I just knew I was meant to be there. And so I did, I stayed for a couple of years and then, then, you know, it's like, gosh, I just needed a break. <laughs> I'm so tired of working on myself, but I still c- continued to go to my, you know, AA meetings and, you know, I still continued with the fellowship and all that. I just, I think sometimes when it, it gets too hard, you know, I just needed a break. Absolutely. And this is some really deep, heavy shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then let's talk about your childhood. And I I guess what I'd like to ask you is what, let's say before you came to ACA, how would you have described your childhood? A dysfunctional, definitely very chaotic. My mom was raised in a very religious and strict Catholic home and And she had horrible emotional, physical, sexual, religious abuse. And I mean, I'm surprised she got out of there alive. And so she immediately, you know, did what a lot of people did back then. You know, they got pregnant and left and, you know, got ostracized and basically disowned by the family. And then so for at least our first five years, she got married, but she stayed married until I was like two. And I mean, their fights were so bad. I still remember Yes, yes, yeah. my my biological father, uh-huh. but their fights were so bad. I still remember them, and I was only two years old. Wow, yeah. And so when she got divorced at two, we moved, and she cut off all contact with my biological father and her family. And there was a lot of mental illness and dysfunction. I can't say there was. I guess there was probably alcoholism as well, because that was just kind of the, the thing to do. But to do. she, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, she would like run down to the corner when she was little and get a bucket of beer and bring it back to her dad. Mm-hmm. She tells me funny stories. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I know <laughs> like, yeah, let's have a, a, a five-year-old, like go get a bucket of beer. Mm-hmm. So she cut off all ties with family and my dad. Was it because they were so judgmental of her divorce since they were so Catholic? Is that what the thing was? Yeah. And the mental illness stuff was really getting bad. It was getting physical. We had my, one of my uncles was schizophrenic and he was trying to sexually abuse some people and chasing my grandma around the house with a knife, you know, Mm. so he had to be institutionalized and, and then, you know, just, it was just a lot of drama and dysfunction. And my mom just, you know, made a good decision and left, but then she was on her own. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to, we we're very transient and she was a social worker. So not making very much money. And mm-hmm. because we moved around a lot, you know, like we never like put roots down anywhere and didn't, she didn't have a big group of friends. She didn't have any support. So we were left alone a lot and, and we would do, you know, stupid stuff. You know, we would, I mean, even under five years old, we, my sister and I, who's a year older, she, we were, you know, running the neighborhood at four and five years old. Cause my mom was gone and, you know, and then if we did have babysitters, you know, they, I started smoking cigarettes when I was five. Wow. You know, just like, you know, holy shit. Yeah, or yeah, because it's like here, they thought it was really cute. 
it was funny. Let's have this little girl smoke cigarette, you know, and then they would, there's sexual abuse in my background as well. And, you know, and that stuff started happening when she would leave us, you know, with people that were supposed to be safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was just, there was a lot of dysfunction and I was scared constantly. I was, and I was just like, you know, so heightened. I disassociated a lot because I couldn't deal with what was going on immediately. So I would just, I was always in la la land thinking about mm. how great my life was going to be when I was grown up. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was just disconnected because I couldn't deal with my immediate situation. Huh. And so then when did you start drinking and using drugs? So honestly, my first... <laughs> My no, lie to me. Real lie to me. Big, it's <laughs> funny. My first real big drink was when I was like two. And uh -huh. my dad used to drink these like little pony stags of pony stag beer. Well, okay. Uh -huh. So it was like a yeah. long time ago, 1974. And he, I asked him for a sip and he gave the bottle to me. And I literally threw a tantrum. I would not give the beer back to him. So I, at two years old, I was like, this is it to this is it keep a beer <laughs> yeah and I kind of tell people I'm like I feel like I just threw a tantrum until I could start getting mm. cigarettes and alcohol on my own and that was not very hard to do because back then we would just stand outside of a grocery store and ask and people ask to people buy to us buy liquor it. we'd give yeah. them money yeah. yeah but prior to that so in my mom's an alcoholic she's been sober like 35 years thank god oh wow yeah. And so she's the huge part of my story. And thank God I have her to talk to because there's been a lot of healing with that. But I think when I was in sometime in grade school, I don't really know how old I was, probably like fourth or fifth grade. I started, she would always drink kind of the liqueurs and the dessert drinks and brandy and stuff like that. And so I, I would take a little nip from each of them and mix them into one glass. That's this nasty concoction that you could probably, you know, burn things with. And yeah. And so that was <laughs> like my first drunk was just mm -hmm. experimenting. And then I knew to put water back in there. Like, mm -hmm. I don't understand how somebody in grade school would know how to do that. I honestly think that after that first beer, when I was two, I've just been like concocting a plan. How am I going to get it? Yeah, so, I can really relate. Well, I think when I was probably definitely by freshman in high school, so like 14, um, drinking was on a weekend basis. But I remember I would spend the entire week trying to figure out, like I was not paying mm -hmm. attention in school. I was mm -hmm. spending the entire week talking to people. How are we going to get beer? Where are we going to get beer? Where's the party? Like mm -hmm. I was so focused on that. So yeah, 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 yeah. The truth of the matter, my dear shit shows, is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago, and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now, let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. 
Take a free one-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24-7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit get.donefirst.com slash podcast to learn more. Again, that is get.donefirst.com slash podcast. Done, turn ADHD into your strength. And so then how did that all unfold? Like, tell me about like your bottom. My bottom, it really wasn't until I was like 28. So I was just, I didn't really have a lot of consequences either. Like I was just the big party girl. How old were you when your mom got sober? 16. And so when, yeah, and that's interesting. Yeah, tell when me about she that got sober. Yeah, tell me about that. And And so my mom, like her idea of parenting was to do the exact opposite of what her mom did. Mm -hmm. So that was like, my grandma was like really controlling. She would make them clean baseboards with a Q-tip. Like she was just really, really rigid and really kind of an awful human being. That's like a totally different podcast. But so my mom decided to do the opposite of her. And Mm -hmm. so we literally had no rules. I like to tease that we were raised by wolves because (laughs) there's like, you could do whatever you wanted, go wherever you wanted, stay up as late as you want. You know, my sister and I got ourselves on the bus at like five and six years old because my mom had to go to work. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, you know, and I think that's part of the reason why I'm a teacher is because I've realized how important structure and routine is to kids. And I think it's just like this lifelong journey for me to be able to provide, you know, like comfort and safety for children when I didn't have any. And also the ability to be like, you know, just a safe person for kids to talk to Uh because I didn't have that, you know. Uh What led to your mom getting so, what led to that? Like, was it? She started going to Al-Anon and I think she started (laughs) going to Al-Anon. Yeah, she's kind of funny. She started going to Al-Anon because she was in some relationships that her partner was alcoholic. And so she kind of came into AA through the back door of Al-Anon. And, you know, it wasn't until she was in a meeting and, you know, people were talking and she was just like, holy shit, I'm an alcoholic. And I don't know why she was so surprised. I was not as surprised. Like I remember in high school saying, when I start drinking, I can't stop, but Mm -hmm. I could not drink for several weeks. Like, and when Mm -hmm. I finally came into AA, like it wasn't a surprise for me. I didn't want to admit it but because mm-hmm. of my ego, but it was not a surprise. So when she got sober, because we didn't have a whole lot of rules, you know, that's when my drinking really took off because she was in meetings or she was at her boyfriend's and she was doing all this self-care that she wasn't, we just didn't have a lot of structure. So she wasn't really parenting in a healthy way. And so I, I didn't have, the consequences that I had were not, like with the law, they were not, you know, DUIs. My consequences were always putting myself in very unsafe situations where men and men took advantage of me. And mm-hmm. so I was, you know, sadly that, you know, party girl that just had bad things happen, you know? And so when I was about 21, when I was in school, in education school, I had to, I think, take a psychology class. I don't know. There was like something going on in my life where I took a class that, started me kind of like thinking about what was going on because that like that, you know, the the big, like I 
attack was when I was 17. And so, you know, I think we compartmentalize that, you know, we kind of put it away and try to pretend like it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. We drink over it, we medicate, we numb it out. And then there's things that happen that kind of bring it up. And so I took this class, it was kind of like it triggered me. And I knew I had to get help when I was losing so much sleep at night that I was like imagining that the walls were breathing and doorways were breathing and like there was monsters under my bed. Like I was terrified. And so I got involved in a, it was like a group situation at the college I went to. It was like, you know, their counseling students would do this for free. And, you know, so I started really coming to grips with the fact that I'd been sexually assaulted and that I was drinking to medicate because of it. Uh, And uh yeah, but I didn't stop drinking for like another seven ish years. Were you looking at it from, were you only looking at it from that incident that had occurred as an adult or were you also addressing the stuff that happened to you during your childhood? Yeah, just as an adult, like that stuff that happened to me as a child, like I could not go there. It absolutely mortified me. And, and I think the thing, the reason why it mortified me so much is because it was a family friend and it was like, I don't know, it's, I think part of my problem, if I have one per se, is the fact that I've been brutalized by people that I know and trust. And so at times I actually would feel safer with strangers because, you know, I just couldn't trust what the people that are close to me were going to do. And then, so then what brought you into AA? Was there another incident or so, just kind of sick and tired of being yeah, sick? Uh, yeah. So I actually, okay. So I think just in general, teachers drink a lot. <laughs> and so like every Friday we would go to this happy hour. I'd get out of school at three. 3.30 and I would not get home until 3.30 in the morning. And it would perplex me as to why everybody did not want to do that. And then I would have to like spend <laughs> the entire weekend recovering from one, like a 12 hour span of just acting like a complete idiot and thinking that I was having fun, but I was probably just humiliating myself. But anyway, so I met this guy through some friends and we had a lot of fun. We had a lot in common. Well, really we had a lot of fun is what happened. I can't say there was much substance there besides a lot of partying. And so when things started getting serious, he basically looked at me and he was like, cause he would have to come change tires. Like when I run to the curb and I was drunk mm. and you know, he would just have to come rescue me. And finally, one day he was like, I refuse to have a drunk for a girlfriend. And so I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I was like, all right. I found the love of my life. I'm going to sober up. I'm going to, you know, have this great life. And, you know, about, I don't know, a year after we started dating, he tragically died in a motorcycle accident. And, oh my God. Um, and that was like, I don't know if anybody out there can relate, but my heart actually broke. Like mm-hmm. I thought death would feel better than the way I felt. And, and I'm sure Ugh. there was a lot of real unhealthy, you know, dynamics between us, but the state that I was in then, you know, it was just Mm. so traumatic. And that was probably one of the first times I ever really felt any feelings. My feelings were either, you know, like extreme anger or numbness. I don't know if numbness is a feeling, but yeah. So, but see, like being with him was the first time I really felt like hope for myself. I really, Mm -hmm. we had started talking about getting married and like the future. And, and that's something that was always really hard for me to do because I always have felt like I've been trapped in this little girl, you know, like an adult body and a little girl mind. I couldn't Mm -hmm. conceptualize like, okay, I'm this grown woman. And this is like the natural progression of 
what's supposed to happen in life. And it was the first time I felt really happy. And then all of a sudden he's gone and it was just devastating. Mm. And yeah. And so I basically set out to kill myself by drinking. I, for two years, I was an absolute nightmare. I would go to school still drunk, you know, from the night before, you know, I was just, I was awful. I would sleep at work. I was not fit to be there. Let's say that. And I'm really, really shocked. I didn't lose my job, (laughs) but you know, and that I think is one way, you know, I, I like, I'm having a living amends right now, you know, by showing up and being the best teacher that I can be. So, yeah. So basically I drank myself crazy for like two years. And one night, like there was a summer that I had off and I wasn't working. And so a lot of time to drink and I would basically sit on my back porch and smoke. And, you know, I would like get all these self-help books because I'm like, you know, something needs to fix me. And I (laughs) had no spiritual life. I just everything was so tragic I would journal and I would like you know cry like this tear-stained journal with all these smudges it was everything was just so dramatic and because I was in such extreme pain and so this summer I spent Mm -hmm. a lot of time drinking and at the end of the summer I was probably up to drinking like 30 beers a day like it was ridiculous and I remember a friend of mine calling me or I called her and she was coming out of an AA meeting and all of a sudden it was like that spiritual thing, you know, like I just like I sobered up and, and I was like, wait, how did you know you needed to be there? And she read the questions to me and I, I didn't answer honestly to all of them at first, but I answered yes to enough where she's like, Hey, you know, let's go to a meeting tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And so I did. And and I never looked back. And I think that was almost like divine intervention. Like it was just Mm -hmm. the right place at the right time. And, and then my mom started taking me to meetings, which was pretty cool. I was going to say like, was your, what was her role in any of that? Was she saying like, Hey, you have a problem or is she hands off or what? She was really working an Al-Anon program, which was refreshing. She, did you know that? No, like in retrospect, I can see that's what she was doing, but no, not at the time. But I do remember her saying, you know, I'm saving a seat for you. And I always be like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, I knew I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know where I was supposed to be. I didn't know what to do. So it's like, you know, you just keep repeating the same crazy behavior because that's what you're in the habit of doing. So, and so how was early sobriety for you? Like, was it hard or wonderful or? It was. So I think there is that definitely a pink cloud for like the first six months. You know, I don't, I feel like I was a, like a good little student. Like I did what I was supposed to do. And, and really I'm very rebellious by nature. And I think I just got like really sick of doing what I was told to do. (laughs) And eventually I was just like, like everybody fuck off. And, but you know, when you do that, when you get really rebellious, there are consequences. So, I mean, I Mm -hmm. never had a relapse, but there were a lot of emotional bottoms and a lot of, you know, I had significant trouble controlling my temper and just emotionally was dysregulated a lot. And, you know, and, and I didn't realize though, it's like, okay, you took the drink away from me, but how am Mm -hmm. I coping with the flashbacks and the triggers and, and all that. And so, and then I was still smoking a lot back then. And I didn't quit smoking until I was about four years sober. I don't recommend that for anybody, but I got pregnant. So I felt like I had to quit, you know? And so Yeah, it was hard. It was really hard, you know, but I mean, the thing is, if I really understood, like if I put enough work into my sobriety as I did my drinking, you know, and I would really try to pay attention to those people that you can just tell those spiritual people, those people that are just like they're magnets for just like good energy, you know, and, 
And so I would really ask people like, how did you get like that? You know, you know, you seem so spiritual. How did you find that? You know, I just asked a lot of questions. I still bitch and moaned a lot. (laughs) I still had my tantrums and that has gotten significantly better. And especially after I did some EMDR and like trauma therapy about four years ago. And that was an absolute game changer for me. So is that when you started to look at the childhood stuff really in therapy? Was that your first time? Like, were you in therapy prior to like the first 15 years of your sobriety? I have been in therapy off and on pretty much my entire life (laughs) and trying to figure out why I'm so angry, why all this bad stuff is happening. I was always a victim, but you know, I wasn't ever telling anybody, well, I was molested or I was raped. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't Mm -hmm. tell anybody those secrets because I was ashamed of it. And it wasn't until I came into the program and I heard someone say, you're as sick as your secret. And that man, I clung to that. And I was like, all of a sudden, you know, just able, like willing to do whatever it took to feel better. So I was willing to talk about that stuff. But I started working ACA. It was maybe a year or two before I started the trauma therapy. And it was Mm -hmm. through ACA that I realized, okay, this is like a lot deeper and a lot, you know, more than I thought. And, Mm -hmm. and again, you know, through like talking to other people and having other people set examples for you, I realized, okay, so maybe EMDR would really do me a lot of work or a lot of help, even though it's Mm -hmm. a lot of work and it can be painful, but, you know, I really needed to listen to those people that talked about like, you know, what it feels like when you come out the other side from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was it like opening up to your mom about what happened to you as a kid? Oh, it was tough. It was tough. And especially since now, you know, she's been sober a long time and we have a pretty good relationship now. She has been a huge part of my healing and part of my recovery because I think that I know a lot of people continue to suffer when you don't have that closure and that you're not able to process things out with those people that hurt you. And so Mm -hmm. my mom has been huge at, you know, cleaning her side of the street and taking responsibility for her part and which is something that her mom would never do. And so I think she realized how significant that would have been in her life if she would have had Mm -hmm. some clarity and closure from her own mom. So she's been a big part of my sobriety. You know, it was really, really hard to talk to her about the abuse because, you know, I think that for anybody who is a survivor of, you know, childhood sexual stuff, like, because it didn't just happen once, it happened over like a year or two. I don't even know what the time span was, but it's like, you feel responsible because you're letting it continue to happen. So there is just such a huge layer of shame. And I think that's why it took me so long to talk about it because I felt responsible. I felt there was a huge component of it was my fault because I felt like I chose to keep putting myself in that situation. That situation. So, I mean, yeah. So now I I know as an adult, I know that's not the truth. Yeah, valid. But yeah. yeah. And I think though that, you know, like, when I first started dealing with that stuff, like I was, my emotions, like my mentality was probably that of like, I don't know, a 12 year old, like, (laughs) you know, you still are seeing it through a child's eyes and it's, you know, as an adult, it's just, it's hard to deal with it until, until you know, that's why I went to therapy. Yeah. I I needed to, I needed to have like a safe place to start talking about it before I could talk about it in other situations. What have your conversations with your son looked like as it relates to like your adult child issues? You know, he, he we're, we have a really good relationship. We just actually had like a real kind of heart to heart tonight. And I don't ever, I don't ever like put my problems on him 
we've always been able to like really communicate and, you know, I like to sit down and like talk to him about how he's feeling. He gets sick of it, but I still try to like not react and respond the way his dad does because his dad can be very hurtful and very like authoritarian. So, you know, I'm not a cool mom. Like he still has rules and structure and routine. Like I don't let him get away with everything. You know, I just took all his remote, his mouse and his keyboard and all this stuff away because he left a big pot of pasta in his room. I'm like, dude, we don't live in a barn. So, you know, like there's still consequences, but I still try to talk to him like about why I do something and he understands it. And so tonight we were actually talking about, you know, I'm thinking about breaking up with my boyfriend and he asked what I did all weekend. And I just told him, I was like, I just kind of laid low and I watched a couple Hallmark movies, you know, (laughs) and it was just kind of a fun show weekend. And he was wondering why I wasn't spending so much time with my boyfriend. And, you know, and I kind of gave him, I told him real briefly, I was like, this is kind of what's been going on, you know, not leaning on him for support or therapy, but it was just funny because he looked at me and he goes, gosh, that's something I do. And I was like, I know (laughs) the emotional maturity of this man is just atrocious sometimes. And so that's, you know, so we're able to have real good conversation to you, my dear. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. He's the, the really cool thing is that he's grown up in the program. He had a really tragic start to life. He was born three months early and he was really sick. And so he's just my miracle baby. And, you know, for a, a while in the beginning, we were kind of enmeshed because I couldn't separate. It, it's just really hard thing to separate when you have a sick kid, you know, but eventually yeah. I did learn to let go of it. And, you know, but he was raised in, in meetings. He's been passed all around between people. Mm-hmm. And since my mom's in the program too, you know, like he's, he's been raised by some really strong women that are very talkative and process our feelings out loud. And so, you know, when I go to conferences, they're like, you know, he's, is like grounded in like the way he feels and he's just so different from typical boys. And I'm like, it's because he right. Ra- he's raised around a lot of women. <laughs> and sometimes he gets really sick of that. But I was like, you know, it's going to serve you well one day because one day you are going to be, <laughs> yeah, light years ahead of all the other boys. Mm. And the girls might find that handy that, you know, you're so in touch. Absolutely. So, he's a good kid. The healthy ones will. Let's hope. Yes. So, okay, let's, let me ask you this because I'm sure that you can see this. So I know you're in another relationship that you might not think is ideal, but are you able to see ways in which you've grown compared to past relationships in the way that you're showing up in this one? Yeah, definitely. So what I found in this relationship is like, I'm done arguing with people. Like I don't, we don't raise our voices. Like, <laughs> like there's no like real drama. And that is so refreshing. You know, I'm able to talk about, okay, this is how I feel. And this is, these are my needs and I'm not getting this. And, you know, so we have conversations about it and he's a great person. He's just not as emotionally available as I am. And, you know, he's, he's actually in, in relatively early sobriety. And so he's Mm. just not there. Mm -hmm. So, yes, um, but yeah, I've learned lots of things. I mean, you know, just being patient with people about, you know, and accepting about where they're at. That's hard. Yeah. Okay. So tell me three things that you like about yourself. I like that. I feel like I'm a very warm person. I'm easy to talk to. I am empathetic and funny. I like to have a good time. Yes. Okay. And then hope or dream for the future. 
Oh, that's a hard one. My hope or dream is, you know, I feel like I just want to feel like my feet are on the ground, my feet are planted in, you know, just like confident and secure about who God designed me to be. That's beautiful. Well, I'm glad that you're here. Me too. Very excited about this. Let it all go.